Today we continue our series on the topic of forgiveness that we've entitled The Important Business of Forgiveness. Uh, let's pray and then we'll jump right in. God, we thank you for uh, today, for this opportunity to worship together. We pray that uh, as we listen to your word and the meditation of my heart, that you would speak to us a very clear word, that our eyes, our ears, our minds, our souls would be open to what you have to say to us today. And may it bring about change in our lives. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Those of us who remember 9-11 know that it was one of those events in life that it just kind of seemed to pull the veil back a bit. Things became very clear about our lives. The things that were really important just all of a sudden became very clear. I remember reading stories and hearing people talk about reprioritizing their lives. Uh, people spent more time with their families. Worship attendance spiked throughout the country. People quit careers in which they were really not satisfied or happy. And here's what was really important. I remember reading a number of stories in the paper about people reconciling with others with whom they had been estranged. People who had broken off engagements, got back together and ended up getting married. Fathers and sons talked and healed the division that had been in their lives so many years. Friends reconciled. It was an amazing time. I think it points to the story today about how important it is to know that life is precious and that we don't have unlimited opportunities to do what's really important. And as we talk about forgiveness in this series, this is what I would emphasize. We do not have unlimited opportunities to reconcile and to extend forgiveness and make things right with other people. Today's story is about opportunities missed. Opportunities, numerous opportunities, when reconciliation could have happened, but instead were passed by. Last week, Don did a great job preaching on the beautiful story of Joseph and his brothers. This is a great story about forgiveness. Today, we look at a tragic story about what happens when forgiveness isn't extended. It's a story from the life of King David. And the story really covers five chapters from 2 Samuel. So I'm going to summarize a bit, set the context, before I read our verses for today. David had two sons with two different wives. The firstborn was named Amnon, and the second was Absalom. Now, you got to pay attention here because this could get confusing. Absalom had a sister named Tamar, who, of course, was a half-sister to Amnon. And Amnon ended up raping his half-sister. Absalom, of course, was enraged and vowed to kill his half-brother to avenge his sister's honor. And so he plotted and he waited just for the right time and then brutally murdered his brother. Immediately he went into exile 
uh, fearing for his life for three years. And of course, David, the king, his father, is devastated, completely devastated. He loses one son to a murder, and then he loses his other son to exile. David longed for his exiled son, but I mean, his heart ached, but he wouldn't do anything about it until Joab, who was the commander of David's army and his closest confidant, saw that this separation was eating away at David and that he needed to end this banishment. So David agreed and summoned his son to come home. So after three years of exile, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem, to home. But here's the deal. David wouldn't see his son. He provided a place for he and his family to live, but wouldn't meet with Absalom face to face. He lived in the same city, but they never saw each other. And Absalom was prevented from ever being in the presence of the king. This silent treatment went on for two more years. And finally, Absalom took Joab aside and told him that if this was how it was going to be, that he would rather be just put to death. And so David agrees to see him. And it's a dramatic scene where Absalom comes to his father, the king, and bows down, face to the ground, completely contrite. And the king kisses Absalom. But here's what's important. It's just a formality. It's as as though a king was pardoning a subject. It wasn't a father extending love and grace, being full of joy to see his son. Wow, you can't help but think this is so different from another story about a father and son in Scripture where the youngest son, again, tells his father he wants his share to the, of the inheritance and goes off into a far country, totally wastes the inheritance, and finally comes to his senses and realizes he needs to go home. But the father in the story is so different. The father has been aching, longing for his son who has been in a faraway country. He's been scanning the horizon for him, waiting for him to come home. And when he sees him, he runs out to meet him and smothers him in kisses. Ends up throwing a party for him. Pure joy, pure forgiveness, pure grace. He even restores the honor of his son. This is what Absalom wants from his son. The grace, the love of a father. But instead he gets the formality of a judicial system. And so, understandably, he is embittered, and he begins a plot to overthrow the king, his father. Now, if you ever wonder where Star Wars gets these stories, these plots, here it is. Four years he waits, and then there's a rebellion, powerful enough to threaten David. The conflict is escalated, and David ends up fleeing to the wilderness. Now, you got to know, if you don't already, that the wilderness is symbolic in Scripture for uh, many things. Important things happen 
in the wilderness, God does some of his best work in our lives when we are in our wilderness times. And this is what happens to David. This is what happened to Jesus. Jesus withdrew to the wilderness just prior to beginning of his ministry to uh, be strengthened. He was tempted by Satan, but strengthened and came out stronger, ready for the three years of his intense ministry. The people of God wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years it took God to shape them into his people, form their character, taught them how to trust him. The wilderness can be kind of like a 9-11 experience where we get clarity and we hear the voice of God and we see what's important. Most often times in the Bible, our relationship with God is deepened in the wilderness. Now, the text doesn't tell us exactly what happened to David in the wilderness, but we know his heart is changed. Here's my guess. David met God, and David saw himself. And David remembered how gracious, how merciful God had been to him. You see, David, as most of us know, was an adulterer and a murderer. And if you read Psalm 51, it was written by David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan with his sin. And he's forgiven. You know, it's so interesting that this is so much like the story that we looked at a couple weeks ago of the unmerciful servant. Here is this servant who was forgiven this enormous debt and meets this other servant as he leaves the temple after being forgiven and won't forgive the other servant. Just this small debt that is owed to him. This is what I think is going on with David. He realizes Wow, how can I refuse forgiveness to my son when I have been forgiven so much? And maybe in the wilderness, David also realized this war, which was killing thousands of men, was a result of him not forgiving his son. So he returns to Jerusalem and at this point, his army is strengthened enough that they can quell the rebellion So he tells Joab, again, his commander, deal gently with this young man, Absalom, if you meet him in battle. If you capture my son, do not harm him. Well, as we know, things don't always turn out the way that we want in war, and Joab ends up killing Absalom. A messenger is sent to the king to tell him about his victory and the fate of his son. And this is our scripture for today. Then the Cushite, the messenger, arrived and said, My lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all those who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man, Absalom, safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, O my son Absalom, 
my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son. Tragic story. Difficult words even to read. I, I would say some of the saddest script, uh, verses in all of Scripture. And don't you find it interesting that David really isn't interested in the result of the battle and doesn't really take in the victory? He wants to know about his son. And his son is dead. This is the missed opportunity, among others. He loses another son. Think about this. For nine years, David refused to forgive, to reconcile, to make things right, to enjoy the relationship with his son, the love of his son. And now, so much deep grief, so much regret, so much sadness. So there's a story. What can we take away from this story for us today in our lives? Well, it's so clear. I think one of the messages we get is, boy, keep short accounts and attend to this important business of forgiveness. Take the opportunities to forgive, to make things right. And this is something that's so clear in Scripture. Jesus says, you know, when you're praying and you realize that has, someone has something against you, you drop everything and go and make things right with that person. Ephesians, Paul writes this, he says, don't let your son go down on your anger. In other words, don't, don't let things fester. Keep short accounts. And it makes, as we look at this story in light of all that happens, makes so much sense for our good, for the good of others. You leave things fester and they just eat away at you. Resentment builds. And like this story, unless forgiveness happens, escalation usually occurs. One sin leads to another. That's why we've titled this series, The Important Business of Forgiveness. So important that we tend to this important business because years can be lost. Years that you, know, you can't take back. You know, I, I've, met, I've never met someone who said, oh, I forgave that person and how I wish I had never done that. But I have met many people who have not regretted forgiving someone sooner. Just have to pause here for a second. You know, as we have talked about forgiveness now for four weeks, has there been a person who has come to your mind? You know, as I've prepared these sermons, I realize that there's a person that I need to go and make things right with. But how about you? Do you is there someone who comes to mind, a person or a number of people, who you have to forgive? Someone you're just not right with. Maybe someone in this church. Maybe someone in your family. I mean, encourage all of us to do it and to do it soon because we don't want to miss the opportunity. You have an opportunity. Whenever you have the opportunity to forgive, you have the opportunity to actually participate in something 
that is very important to God. You know, there's a singer-songwriter named Sarah Groves, and she's written this song. She's a great singer-songwriter. She's written this song called Add to the Beauty. And I want to read these lyrics to you because they're just so good. She writes this. We come with beautiful secrets. We come with purposes written on our hearts, written on our souls. We come to every new morning with possibilities only we can hold, that only we can hold. Redemption comes in strange places, small spaces, calling out the best of who we are. And here's the chorus. And I want to add to the beauty, to tell a better story. I want to shine with the light that's burning up inside. It comes in small inspirations. It brings redemption to life and work, to our lives and to our work. It comes in loving community. It comes in helping a soul find its worth. Redemption comes in strange places, small spaces, calling out the best of who we are. And I want to add to the beauty, to tell a better story. I want to shine with the light that is burning up inside. This is grace, she writes. An invitation to be beautiful. This is grace, an invitation. Redemption comes in small, in strange places, small spaces, calling out our best. And I want to add to the beauty, to tell a better story. I want to shine with a light that's burning up inside. You know, we can write a better story. We can add to the beauty. And it all comes down to a choice. You know, we can write a better story for ourselves, for others, sometimes for a whole nation of people. You know, Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, had a leadership role in South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Remember that from years ago? Apartheid was coming to an end. Generations of torture and murder were coming to an end. And they had these trials of that they called Truth and Reconciliation. And Tutu was trying to decide what was the best for his country. How do we move forward? Do we punish? We want justice, but do we punish? Do we get revenge? And he decided the best way was forgiveness. He said to forgive is not is to be is not to be altruistic. It is the best form of self-interest. And he saw forgiveness was the only way for his country to move forward, to be the best it could be. So he decided to write a better story. You know, I was able to witness someone, a couple people, adding to the story, making a better story, adding to the beauty. 
It was during a wedding. You know, weddings are, and I'll close with this, weddings are a lot like funerals. They bring together people, families together. Sometimes, whether they want to or not, they bring them together. Sometimes, there are problems in relationships in the family. So I always ask the couple, you know, at a wedding and premarital counseling, are there any family dynamics that I need to be aware of? And more than one occasion, this is what I've heard. My parents are divorced, haven't talked to each other since the divorce. They can't stand to be in the same room together. And so then I will ask them, well, when did they get divorced? Well, 20 years ago, when I was a young kid. And I don't mean to make light of this. I know, man, it, forgiveness sometimes is really difficult. There's deep pain, horrible things to forgive. But you've got to write a better story. So these weddings force people to come together that maybe haven't spoken to each other for over 20 years still feel the resentment, the anger, the bitterness, the pain. So it can be difficult, not only for the two people involved, but for you know, the bride, the groom, the entire wedding party. It steals some of the joy of the wedding. Not long ago, I was able to officiate the wedding of a good friend's daughter. And I've known this friend for many years. When I first met her, she just was recently divorced. Her daughter was very young, the daughter that I married. And I had the opportunity to watch this daughter grow up. And it, one of the privileges of being a pastor is being able to officiate at weddings like this. I also watched my friend over the years deal with her divorce. You know, her husband had been unfaithful, so there were deep wounds and not easy to forgive. She was a single mom trying to provide for two kids. Things were tight. I'm sure it could have been very easy to be resentful. But she worked hard at the relationship with the kid's dad. Like I said earlier in the series, forgiveness, it's a tricky thing. Sometimes you think you've forgiven and then you realize maybe years later you haven't and you have to work on it again. It, it's just never a clear cut and clear and cut thing, it seems like. But I think she had gotten to the point where she felt peace and she felt like there had been forgiveness. And so this wedding came, and I remember thinking, wow, how this would have been so different if she had never forgiven. Reconciliation had happened, and like I said last week, not perfect or a couple weeks ago, not perfect, but the pain was still there. But here's what happened. Her ex-husband got up and in his remarks to the congregation, the crowd at the reception, he thanked my friend for being such a great mom. And not just thanks for being for such a great mom, but he went into detail. Very kind words, and you could tell it was heartfelt. You know, they were writing a better story. 
they added to the beauty. Let's all do that. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we have heard your voice today. I pray that each one of us would not leave this message as we have come. God, we claim your power in our lives. We claim that you can touch and heal and transform us. We claim that your saving grace enables us to love as we have never been loved before or as we have never loved before. We claim that your abundant mercy allows us to extend that same mercy, forgiveness to others. So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who's listening to this message today who is struggling, first of all, to receive forgiveness and grace from you, if there's anyone who struggles to really accept your unconditional love, I pray that that person would, that you would break through into their life and that they may experience your grace, your forgiveness in a new and fresh and real way. And God, I pray that if there is someone listening who needs to forgive another person and they are unable or unwilling to do so, I pray that your Holy Spirit will encourage and empower them to act with mercy and forgiveness. And Lord, if there are any of us here who are listening today who are able to rest in your grace, I pray that somehow they learn something new this morning, that they would go out and be a changed person. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.